there's risk in every deal, right? Every deal has risk and it's important that you understand what the risks are. Typically, you know, we do different assets. So we're doing, you know, uh, we've had over 12 million raised for ATM machine funds, right? That's a very different type of asset, very consistent cash flowing deal. But there are risks, you know, in that there's risks in car washes, there's risks in oil and gas, which we're doing all of these. And so I tell people, you know, in general, you know, this is the, the risk that I see in this deal is this, and I'll just tell them. And I say, but you know, you have to get comfortable. And I think whatever deal you're investing in as a passive investor, you've got to just really identify what are the one or two primary risks that you're seeing. And if you don't see them or you don't understand them, you probably don't understand the deal well enough. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth. But why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start. And most of the education out there is just complete trash. And you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Brenneman Blueprint. Have Bronson Hill on the podcast today. So Bronson's the founder of Bronson Equity, and he's a multifamily investment uh, professional. He's done over 200 million of real estate deals, and he's raised over 35 million from individual investors. And he has a lot of experience talking to LPs. He's uh, He told me before he's spoken to over uh, 2,000 individual investors, so I want to pick his brain on everything he's uh learn from those conversations and hear what's going on in his world today. So welcome, Bronson. Awesome. Excited to be here, Drew. Excited to be uh, on your show as you were recently on mine. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for having me on your show. And um, yeah, I think, why don't you just, if you want, just kind of bring us up to current day, tell us how you got uh, to where you are today in real estate. Yeah. So I uh, started, I was a, uh, I'd always wanted to do real estate because I liked the idea of, you know, generating wealth. And I just, so I had bought a house and kept it as a rental house, bought it kind of after college and uh, I took a job in other states. So kind of held on to this property. And um, eventually I had said, well, I want to, I want to do more. I want to start to scale more. So I started buying single family houses in another state and uh, it just really wasn't getting me to my goal fast enough. I'm on paper, it looked great, but the numbers really, they were just, deals weren't performing the way that I would have hoped, right? The, the expenses were always higher and I was buying in like, you know, Cleveland suburbs or something. So they weren't like really nice areas. They were really, <laughs> if you want a deal not to go, just buy an area that's maybe not great tenants or not a great area or other challenges. And so I had a, uh, a relative come to me. There's a saying, saying that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so I had a relative I hadn't seen in a while who did real estate. I know that he was very successful. I didn't know what he did. And I said, here's my hand, my plan is to get 30 of these houses and to, you know, retire, quit my, my, my job with passive income. And at the time I was a medical sales guy. I was making over 200,000 a year. So I had a great job, but I just, I didn't want to, I wanted to have more control over my time. And so, um, I said, well, you know, my goal is to get all these houses. And he said, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Why don't you do multifamily? And I said, like apartments? I was like, well, I don't, I don't have the money for that. And he said, well, you can raise the money. So he taught me about something called syndication, which is raising money from other investors. And uh, so I started a meetup in my area. I started to read everything I could about real estate and particularly multifamily. Started a meetup and uh, basically found my first investor there and then made a partnership about six months later. Um, I, I basically joined somebody who had a huge 
network and was helping people train people how to do their own syndications, how to raise money, how to do all this, but they were having trouble on their own doing their own deals. So I came on board and said, what if we did this? And we had somebody taking calls and doing podcasts and just kind of helping to kind of drive this. And so I did that. And over the next 18 months, we raised $15 million together. And so that kind of really got me in the industry. Like I said, it was, it was about 1500 calls now, but I had about a thousand calls over those first 18 months with high net worth investors. And so it's just, you know, it's been a great experience. There's been challenges that have come up, but I was able to leave my great corporate job about two years ago, I think two years ago this month. And so, and I'm traveling, like I've traveled four or five times international this year, and I've got a couple other big trips coming up. So it's been great to have flexibility over my time, which is what I wanted. Yeah. That's exciting. Is that, was that your ultimate goal? Would you say just where you wanted the the, the, the flexibility or is more about passive income? I mean, what would you say was the biggest underlying thing? Well, I think it's both. I think it's, you know, when you have people say, you know, hey, I want financial freedom, but really, you know, what does that mean? Uh, most people, for, when they really break it down is that most people want to have expenses covered, but they really want to have freedom over time, right? If you have enough coming in that where you're covering your, your rat race number, if you will, right? The number that's your expenses, what that gives you is the ability to work or not work as you like. And so that's kind of the, that's really what I wanted. And so, um, to me now, yeah, it's having, you know, there reached a point where I was able to cover my living expenses and then beyond that, and just be able to do more deals. And I just, I just think it's so much fun to be able to do your own thing and to be able to, I've always valued freedom and just be able to be creative. And I find I'm able to do that with, uh, our stuff with Bronson equity. And then how were you able to make the transition? This is a step that I want to try to drill into where, so you went from, you know, making a lot with, uh, the consulting job so then how did you how were you able to step out of that was uh you know because it's it probably wasn't just one day you woke up said all right i'm gonna go into this real estate thing it was kind of doing both at the same time for a little or how did you navigate that? yeah i wish it was one day i woke up and i just told the boss screw you man and then just let <laughs> it didn't happen like that there's different ways different people have, have different opinions on this some people are like you know, they, they hear about, uh, they go to some seminar and then take out a loan to buy a lot, do the mentorship program or whatever. They've got no money at all. And they like burn the boats and they quit their job. And like, that's one way to do it. Other people are like a month or two short of retirement. And they're like, I quit my job with financial freedom. And you're like, dude, you're almost retired anyway. But, um, so it's like, when do you actually leave? So to me, um, I knew I really wanted to leave. I was approaching 40 and I thought, man, I, I just really would love to, I knew, I knew if I didn't do it, eventually I'd be older. I would regret not really going for it. And so, um, I reached a place where, you know, I did, I started doing the real estate stuff on the side, started building, um, was kind of, kept it pretty separate from my regular job. Then as I was scaling up, I, I kind of dialed down some of the, I had a job that was a little flexible. So I was able to, instead of doing 40 plus hours, I was able to dial it down to 30 or maybe 20 hours a week. So I was able to dial it down a little bit. Um, and then it was hard for me because I was a, I'm a achiever. So, right. I want to be a rock star sales rep or consultant. So like, I had to be like, oh, it's okay. I had to like counsel myself. It's okay not to be super in this area because my future is over here, right? It's over here. And as I started to really develop um, my partnership with the, the folks I mentioned, uh, I was with them for 18 months and we did all these big deals. We raised 15 million. And, um, and then we, went, we raised so much money. I think the last two we raised about $8 million. They kind of said, you know, we just don't really think that this is, uh, you know, we, we appreciate everything you've done. But um, maybe best if you kind of did your own thing, right? So we can hire somebody who's in investor relations. They were just paying me so much money to do this. And I get it, right? You're, you're the agreement you have, you're paying somebody so much money. And so um, 
So I was a little bit upset at the time, but what it allowed me to do was to really try to launch and really create my own brand, which was Bronson Equity. And uh, I knew that as I did that, there would be some risk that maybe I could lose my job, you know, and whatever. But I was kind of like, you know what, this might actually be a good thing, right? I can actually create this and be kind of this beautiful destruction. And it, and it kind of happened. Like toward the end, I had basically started creating posts on, you know, I had a team kind of creating posts on LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And I realized now there's actually a way on LinkedIn, you can actually can block your boss from seeing your posts, which I didn't really know you could do that, or you could like, you know, yeah, without just blocking them outright. Yeah, well, you can, yeah, you can block them, and it, when you block people, it doesn't actually show up that you've blocked them. It's just they can't search you, they can't find you, and so I, you know, that's a little tip for anybody who's doing that. But regardless, at some point, you know, if you're going to take the leap, you got to take the leap. I had, I really had a hard time because my whole family, nobody's really entrepreneurial. And so they're like, why would you leave your great job? It's the golden handcuffs, right? Why would you ever leave? And so I have this group of entrepreneurs that I was meeting with for a year. And I just said, hey, here's here's the business. Here's what I'm doing. Here, I want to leave, but I'm you know, I'm scared to leave. What if something doesn't happen? They, they, like, without exception, they were all like, you should leave your job pretty much as soon as possible. And if it doesn't work, you could always go back. Like, like you know, you have like all this experience. That is what I always say. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm glad that you said that because that's the same, the same thing I always say too. Just worst case is you're, you you probably can't go work at the same exact company, <laughs> but you could just go get, you know, go work for your competitor and, uh, totally. you know, you can sell that to all the doctors. So, yeah, that's um, yeah, that's great. And, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, what were what were some things that you learned in all those uh, conversations with the passive investors with the LPs then? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of takeaways from that. I think, um, you know, as you you know, the more conversations you have, I think when you're first starting out, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, like, how is this actually going to go? You know, like I, what you have a conversation and you're like, uh, you know, I don't really know where this person's coming from. So, you know, the first, you know, few conversations, you're really stumbling through it by, by the 50th conversation or the hundredth conversation, you, you really know how to have that conversation, you know, and, and the big thing I've realized from those conversations is just really trying to figure out you know, how did this person find out about you and who is this person? Like, what is, and I always ask some, a question like, well, tell me a little bit about your, your background, your work background and your investing experience, right? So what they're going to do, they're going to start talking. They're going to say what they do for work. So you're going to know, okay, if they're a doctor or if they're a, you know, what, what, what's their background? It's going to give you information, just kind of how they would approach things. Um, and then also with investing experience, have they only done stocks? I remember I had a call with a, a doctor that his net worth was $5 million. He'd only bought, he had a money person, only bought stocks and bonds. So that's going to be a much more basic conversation around what syndication is, how it actually works. Here's the process. Here's the, and they're just going to have to get, they're going to have to get comfortable with you know, is this not a scam? Is it like, just, is this, is this an okay thing to do versus somebody who's invested in 10 or 20 syndications and you're gonna have a conversation about cap rate, you know, uh, you know, reversions and other, like, you know, what's the assumptions in these specific areas. So it's just, you know, finding out who that person is on the phone, finding out what they're looking for, and then really finding out, okay, does, would this really help them to get where they want to go? So I think those are things that are important, but um, it, it's always amazing too, when you, when you start developing an investor list, you start providing education just as you're doing, Drew, and then you put, you put a deal out there and these people that you, you know, they, they, Hey, I'm interested. I'm interested in joining. And it's like, it's, it's a cool experience to have people want to join in what you're doing. So most people, what were they that were looking into investing passively? What were they looking for? Would you say? Um, I would say most, there's several, several main issues. One is, uh, reducing taxes. That's a big one of Will this help me reduce taxes? Um, you know, we don't provide specific tax advice, but, you know, real estate provides a lot of depreciation, particularly syndication and multifamily provides a lot of depreciation, at least through the end of this year, it will go down a little bit next year. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just a great way to reduce investment. 
uh, gains from a taxable basis, either defer or completely, uh, you know, write off. And so that's very that's that's a, a need. Another one is you know just learning about passive income. So a lot of people have a rental house or two or three or five or ten, and I tell them, hey, you know, if you're if you want to be a passive investor, you know, you have two houses, and how's that working? If if you wanted to put ten times the amount of you know houses out there, let's say go to go from two houses to twenty houses. You know, could you do that? And if the answer is no, well, then you're not really passively investing, right? I know people that are invested in over 70 passive deals, which to me is too many, but some people do it. Like they get in a lot of deals. So you're doing the work on the front end where you're vetting the deal, you're vetting the operator, and then you, know, you keep an eye on the statements and things, but it's much more passive. It's not fully passive, but it's more passive. And so I think there's a lot of people that some people think, you know, starting an online business or having a rental house or a vacation rental or an Airbnb, those are all, those are actually not passive investments, right? So I think it's just, you know, getting into what really passive investing is. And then, um, you know, just, I think over time, it's really, you know, it is getting people comfortable with the assets so that they not only try it, but over time, they're comfortable putting more and more of their net worth into different deals and they're willing to scale. Because again, everything sounds crazy until you do it. And then once you see, oh, this, this actually works. Wow, it's amazing. And the light goes on and then they start deploying more and more capital to things that we're doing. And then, because I have a lot of these same calls, so I'm just very yeah. curious what year. Uh, and when they and then they say would say what's the catch or I don't get it like what's the downside what do you say well I tell them you know I said there's there's risk in every deal right every deal has risk and it's important that you understand what the risks are typically you know we do different assets so we're doing you know uh, we've had over 12 million raised for ATM machine funds right that's a very different type of asset very consistent cash flowing deal but there are risks you know in that there's risks in car washes there's risks in oil and gas which we're doing all of these. And so I tell people, you know, in general, you know, this is the, the risk that I see in this deal is this. And I'll just tell them. And I say, but, you know, you have to get comfortable. And I think whatever deal you're investing in as a passive investor, you've got to just really identify what are the one or two primary risks that you're seeing. And if you don't see them or you don't understand them, you probably don't understand the deal well enough. Right. So I think that's really important to learn and see. And uh, and I think, you know, you should think about it yourself. Then you should ask the operator what they see it as. And if they ever just say, oh, there's no risk, everything's secure, or whatever, it's like, well, you know, everything has risk, right? So it's just, I think it's, a, I appreciate operators that are like, well, here's the biggest risk that I see, or here's the couple risks that I'm, I think about, right? And here's how I think they're managed, but they are risks, you know? So I think those are important. Definitely. And in, in general, if we're just talking generally, like what's the, the catch? Cause yeah, it sounds great. There's cash flow, the returns are high, there's tax breaks. Like, I don't get it. What's the downside? I always say like, it's the fact that it's not liquid. You know, if it, if you could, this is an investment for people who you don't need the money back for five years or um, sometimes longer, you know, so that's, that's the downside is, you know, if the, if you could just press the sell button, uh, like in your, like with stocks, like you could, you, and you can get the money out quicker there, there probably would be less cash flow and the returns would be lower because more people would be in it kind of driving up the prices, if you will, and making the return smaller. Um, so I always say that's the, just not talking about a specific deal, but just like multifamily, uh, or just private real estate in general. I always highlight that because people think like, this doesn't, I don't get it. How's there not like a, like a big, like what's, you know, the returns are high, there's cash flow, you get the tax breaks. Like what's, I don't get it. What's the, there should be something like downside and, and that's a big downside. So it's really more, this is for wealth building or kind of how you were talking about for your personal situation where you're trying to build cash flow um, and, you know, a second income stream. But it's if you needed to just access it all, you couldn't have. Yeah. And, and you know, so. it's interesting. That is a disadvantage. I mean, Warren Buffett would say that's also an advantage, too. Right. Because if you could 
buy and sell your syndicated investment or it was it was priced every day as stocks are, people might panic and sell, right? So it's kind of an, an advantage and a disadvantage, right? Um, but I, I think that, you know, for a lot of these investments, um, you know, it's amazing when you get out of Wall Street and you get into Main Street. It's like, you know, in a way you get penalized for having liquidity. So one advantage, disadvantage is this is not as liquid, but in a way you don't get a quote every month, every year, every, like it's just, it's, it pays out what it pays out. And it's, you know, people can potentially sell, right? They can potentially sell their interests harder and usually it's at a discount and things like that. And operators can buy out. But, um, you know, I think that's one of them. I think, you know, there are the risks are the operating team, who is the team operating it? And that's where the diligence goes into it. The market itself, whether it's, you know, the, the market we've bought in in Jacksonville, Florida, or areas you buy in Chicago, or it could be, you know, the ATM machine market or this specific oil and gas market or the operating team for that. And then also how the deal actually functions. And a lot of times, you know, and it, it, if it's if the operator is not the right operating team, they're going to make more mistakes. Like you, you talked about this on your interview with on the Mailbox Money Show. It's just like you know, if you're a, in a, in a new market, you know, you're going to learn. There's going to be a lot of learning that's going to happen, right? You're going to just you know different prices for things or working with certain partners. And I've seen it. You may have seen this too. But you know, operator is really good in one area. Even a property manager is good in one area, and then you take that property manager and you go two hours away, and they're no good, right? Because they they don't have the local context. They don't know. Their, their contractors don't want to drive two hours away to go service this stuff, right? So, so I think it's just really trying to get your head around, you know, uh, every every deal is different. What are the risks you see, and you know, what's the best and worst case scenario here? And and you know, a lot of times for people, it's it's you know, you can get stuck in 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 analysis paralysis. So it's not getting stuck there. It's just saying, okay, I'm gonna, you know, here's kind of what I see as being really, you know, this makes sense for me right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then I think too with um. Uh, you know, it sounded like some of these investors were kind of deciding between being more active or passive. Um, I guess what were what were some of the things you talked to people about on that decision in terms of where I, I have a couple duplexes, I'm thinking about this. What would you uh, help them kind of work through, if you will? Well, I think it, I think it just depends on what someone's goals are. You know, I ask them, I say, well, what really are your goals? You know, if you OK, you have your duplexes. Well, how much cash is that producing for you now? And I say, well, if you were to buy a couple more duplexes now, like how much really would that produce for you? And a lot of times we really undervalue our time. So if I'm, if I'm talking with somebody who's a physician or somebody who's a business owner, you know, their time zones can be hundreds of dollars or even thousands of dollars an hour. So if they're the ones taking calls for this, even if they have a property manager, they're still you know, having to come home and hey, the tenant didn't pay or hey, we've got this whatever issue. They're having to deal with all this stuff, right? So I look at it and say, okay, with what you have in this current deal or the future deal, what actually are your cash on cash returns? What is your potential? And most of the time I find people don't really manage things super well. A lot of people I know own stuff, you know, fully paid off in cash. And I'm like, you know, your returns are probably like 3% a year or 5% a year. You could do much better than that, right? And you're really not valuing your time appropriately. If you value your time, you're probably losing money because of all the time you're putting into this to acquire, to manage, to do property management, all that stuff. So, so I think those are all considerations that people typically don't um, really think about. They don't think about, you know, what it looks like to actually, you know, be in the driver's seat. And, you know, most people, I'd say about 98% of people that, that start in a passive deal, you know, do end up enjoying, enjoying the process of being passive because it's better returns, but they've got to get used to really being more hands-off, right? That's something they've got to get used to. And then some people just say, I just want to be in control. It's like, okay, that's great. You want to be in control? You can absolutely be in control. It's just, um, you got to understand, you know, you should value your time as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, because that's really, when you think of the, like the whole thing around passive investing where you're not, uh, and you had, if you're buying duplexes and houses as you were, you're not, it's, it's not really, 
you know, real estate investing is not passive. Like if you're the person that's responding to the management company, you're the, or you're the property manager, like it's really only passive if you've like, if you hired that out, if you will. And that's what you're doing investing as a LP where you have, you've offloaded that work to, you know, to Bronson or, or to me or to whoever, and then it actually becomes passive. So then that's where sometimes another time that's how I'm answering the, is this is too good to be true? Like, I don't get it. I don't have to do anything. It's like, well, yeah, you basically hired us effectively to do that work now. So it is passive for you where mm-hmm. we're managing every aspect of it. Yeah. And it's amazing too. There's just no substitute for experience. I mean, you've been doing this for over 15 years. I have over 15 years of real estate experience. Like when you get a really good team, you get a really good operator. I mean, somebody who's not, that's not their full-time thing to do. They're never going to be as good at it. They're not going to have the right contacts. They're not, not going to just like, it's amazing when you have the right team. And then when you go after let's say we're going after a, a 300 unit apartment complex versus a, a small multifamily, like there's going to be so many economies of scale that are going to be in there. You get way better management. You're going to have way better everything. It's just going to be so much more efficient from the staff that's there that they're dedicated only to that property. And there's so much more, you know, I'm sure you have so many examples in your business, Drew, of just ways that you've come in and really, you know, improved operations just because you have the experience with it, right? You can see it, but you know, oh, that's just like this other property. We're going to come in and do this. We're going to, we've got to fire that maintenance guy. We've got to, you know, it's just, it's just very clear. Like, okay, what needs to happen here? Right. Right. Yeah. And oftentimes I do think to myself, like we are essentially paying for ourselves in a way like, okay, because to your example, this person might have a paid off duplex and they're earning 3% and then you could you're going to make more, you know, uh, at least, you know, the, every, every syndication, the projected returns better than that. And you're, um, <laughs> you know, you're, you don't have to do any work in the, the syndication option. And then the, the sponsors more or less, I, I say to them, like, we're paying for yourself in a way. Cause we're, uh, we're the professionals, we're getting higher returns. Um, you know, I started slowing down on saying, cause it's not guaranteed, I guess, but it's, um, by and large, if you look across probably your average, you know, mom and pop apartment investor compared to the the big syndicators, the returns are um, higher just being an LP and not needing to do anything. So, yeah, 100 percent. No, it's, it's really true. Then are you what other mistakes would you say you see LPs make where I guess one was not valuing their time, but then maybe on how, what deals they pick to invest in or, or kind of some of the decisions they make? What would you say are some mistakes? Um, I would say some, I've seen some investors, you know, get, uh, marketed to, meaning they have some sort of clickbait thing they click and they invest in something that's, you know, either not legit or it's just somebody that we, you know, I remember I had one investor reach out and say, you know, hey, here's, how does this deal look? And I said, you know, I've never heard of this person. It looks kind of a clickbaity type of thing. Like I kind of watch out for that stuff. Um, you know, reputation is a big deal and that's where sometimes you can't really, delegate just hey, who should I invest in or get some hot tip from somebody, you, you know, it's good to really make sure that you know that person that they're well thought of in the industry. Um, so that's one mistake. I think I say another one for a lot of people, and I would say, you know, I, I have the opinion that about 98% of people that should be doing syndicated investments or investing in alternative assets, such as multifamily or other things that, you know, that we're involved with, um, they're not, and it's just, they haven't heard of it, or they just aren't comfortable with it yet. And so I think the biggest competition and the biggest challenge for a lot of people is it's either they're just not educated or there's an analysis paralysis. They're like, oh, I should do something, but I just don't know what to do. And they, they just don't do anything. And so I think it's, that's kind of the, 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 the comfortable thing, right, is you just don't make any decision 
And so, but you know, it's amazing the amount of learning that happens when people actually get in the game and they start taking action. So I think inaction is one. I think another one, yeah, like I said, is just making sure that the group you're working with is a reputable group. But I, I encourage people to set a timeline. Give you, okay, I've, I've got 60 days here. I'm going to look, you know, as many people's deal lists as I can. I'm going to ask around. I'm going to, you know, talk to people I know. I'm going to go to meetups and I'm going to find a deal. And in the next 60 days, I'm going to choose one, right? Or I'm going to choose two. And, and I think putting a small amount of money in a deal, if somebody, especially if somebody's higher net worth, if somebody's got a net worth of 2 million or more, it's like, you could put a hundred K in a deal. You could put 50 K in a deal and it's not going to ruin you if something doesn't go perfectly or it goes, you know, doesn't go right. So I think those are all things that are important. Yeah. And then, I mean, especially, yeah, I think getting, getting started, then you're going to see how this really works versus more just having more of these, these talks. Yeah. That's, that's a great tip. I mean, I probably for me, it's actually people, you know, when you're not actually doing the, the deal yourself, it, I think as a LP, it's a little hard to see some of the the risks maybe. So, I mean, I like the list you're going through of the risks, but then what ends up happening is they just, the LPs, the, they return chase. Like they just see, Oh, this deal says it'll make a 20 IRR. I like that. But meanwhile, it's like a office redevelopment deal. That's like, it's either going to make a 20 or you're going to lose money kind of situation when they could have invested in a nicer, newer, safer apartment building or something and made like a safer, let's say 11 or 12%. Um, and then if you're not, if you didn't do enough, maybe homework, we'll call it to understand the differences between those two. Yeah. Why would you not just chase the 20? Um, yeah. so that's something that we, we run into a lot cause we're more of the safer 11, 12% kind of thing. Um, and then we're, you know, we're bumping up into people doing development deals and stuff and they're like, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I can make more on this. And it's like, sure. Yeah. If they build it on time and the price is right, uh, the costs are the same and they hit the rents and can execute that refi and do all these 20 other things. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause it's harder for them to understand all that obviously, but when we're more in our shoes, it's easy to, easy to see. Yeah. I guess then on your, on your current deals, are you, um, what are you, you, uh, I mean, most of the stuff you guys were buying, you said it was multifamily in the Southeast then? Um, yeah, mostly Jacksonville, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia. We've got a Huntsville, Alabama property. So we've got about 1500 units in Jacksonville. Um, that's gone pretty well. We have a little bit in Houston as well. So yeah, mostly kind of Southeast. And that were those, those were all like more value add kind of properties or what, or maybe what's the profile of those? Mostly value add. I mean, there's, uh, one's a little newer, but most of them are kind of, you know, seventies, eighties built and, uh, you know, some value add, you know, needing and the, the good side or the good part I should say of Jacksonville is we were buying a lot of stuff that last couple of years that has been, you know, rents a thousand bucks, uh, the going rates about 1500, uh, 1450, 1500. And so there's a very high upside in doing a, you know, a modest, you know, five, six K rehab, uh, which, you know, most people don't understand that, you know, the value of multifamily is determined by the rents increasing, right? It's not like a comp property or something. It's just how much are the rents compared to other places. And so, um, so, you know, we were excited about that. It's just, you know, working that plan and that's, you know, the ability of the team to execute the plan really is that creates stability in the deal. Yeah. And I think, I mean that those, um, I mean that, yeah, that's a huge premium on the, the renovation, uh, cost. I mean, that's, that's great. That's, uh, and it's been a challenging couple, you know, last 12 months, um, for that profile deal. I mean, how's it gone with, um, I mean, what kind of financing did you do? I mean, insurance is 
been a tough uh, last couple yeah. years. I mean, what kind of maybe road bu- uh, speed bumps you guys run? Yeah, into? we've had some headwinds on those. We had, um, you know, the the hurricanes, particularly in Florida, um, have you know really. I mean, you know, sometimes two, three hundred percent increase. You know, it's hard to predict that. Uh, labor costs, you know, material costs, you know, thirty to fifty percent in some cases. So it's it's gone way up in some areas. Um, so we have had some headwinds there. Uh, rents are, are kind of stable or, or slightly rising. Uh, we did you know, for these, we most of them did bridge debt with some, you know, extensions and things like that. So it's been, for the most part, it's been fine. We've got one deal that's struggling a bit that it's not in Jacksonville, it's in Atlanta, but, um, you know, I think in, in general, you know, it really comes down to being able to work the plan within the time that you said you're going to do. And hopefully when you go to refinance, you've, you've developed enough value in that property, you, you know, your, your income is where it needs to be and you're in, you're in good shape. And then on most of, on on most of deals, then you think you'll be at a point where you'll be able to do like a cash neutral refi or uh, sell and still have a good return, or kind of what are you guys thinking for some of those deals? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the goal really is to uh, you know either cash neutral refi for longer term, or maybe you're uh, you know, some of them you sell, or it just depends kind of on on the situation for the specific property. But really, the margin of safety is. Warren Buffett uses that term is, is really in being able to execute the plan. You know, if you can effectively execute the plan, you've renovated 50 to 80% of the units within those two years, you should be in good shape and you should be, as long as your occupancy is 80, 90% or higher, um, you should, you should be okay. But again, you know, every, uh, every deal is different and sometimes you're, you're way ahead on renovations, but that reduces your occupancy. And so, I mean, you know, it's just the balance that I'm sure you guys work with too, where you're, you're trying to maximize that and, and nothing really, a lot of investors think, oh, things just go exactly according to plan. Like nothing ever goes according to plan. Like it always goes different than men's plan. And so how do you navigate that? How do you walk through that? And I think it's, I think it's, it's good to, uh, um, you know, to walk through that in the way that you, you know, the best way you can. So. Yeah, that makes yeah makes a lot of sense. What kind of deals are you looking at going forward? Then uh, are you guys sticking with all multifamily or what kind of what? Uh, I know you're talking about ATMs and car washes too. Yeah. And I mean, what's the? Um, I guess maybe what's the next you know twelve twenty four months look like for you guys? Yeah, so we uh, we have looked into um, you know other other types of stuff. The last uh, few years, I, I started getting into some of the ATMs and other things a few years ago as a passive investor. Um, you know, we're seeing, we love being in things that cash flow. I think if you have appreciation or cash flow, just in general, as an investment, I think cash flow wins every time because, uh, you can leave your job with cash flow. You can with, if you're going to make a lot of money someday. It's hard to, you can't really leave a job with that. You can't replace expenses. You can't really support your lifestyle. But I think that, you know, by having cash flow, you can. So, you know, the ATM deal has been an awesome, consistent cash flow deal, car washes, some of the private equity stuff, uh, oil and gas, amazing. Also, some tax advantages there as well. Um, so we so we look at that alternatives, and we're we're very you know picky on who we get involved with, and uh, you know we just like being with groups that are reputable that we have a great experience with, and um, you know it takes time sometimes to flesh out who the who the good players are, who the people are that are good, and and those that aren't. So, uh, but no, we're really excited about it. We've we've got you know some exciting stuff planned for this year and the alternatives. Nice. And so what kind of, I guess, so cash flow is the number one focus, I mean, right now and just probably forever, given how you answer that. I would say cash flow and then also, I mean, you know, appreciation is good. It's good. It's just, I mean, we've seen, um, it's particularly in some of the, um, you know, the, the stuff with, with bridge or, you know, other types of lending, or even some areas where it's, it's cash flow that was really good is really dried up. And, um, it's, it's understandable because of these costs and other things have changed. It is a funny time for some 
deals right now in multifamily. But um, you know, for what you can get by investing in some alternatives or even other businesses or things like that, you can get things that have pretty consistent cash flow. And I think that's, um, I mean, to me, I have a bias, you know, toward cash flow, just creating things. How do you create something that um, is going to generate, you know, more wealth over time? I actually have a book coming out uh, in October. It's called Fire Yourself. Uh, replace your working income with passive income in three years or less, right? So how do you do that, right? If you're trying to leave a job, you're trying to replace, maybe somebody has a business, you're going to sell it. Well, how do you generate, you know, income? And um, there's a lot of ways to do it. And I think it's just learning how to do it and getting some experience with it. It just gives you tools that, um, you know, it's, I just think it helps people to get where they need to go. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I, th I think you have a great point. Yeah. You're not going to be able to quit your job on appreciation, you know, and then, yeah. You know, unless you're selling everything every couple of years. But yeah, and also too, especially in today's times where I mean it's you know, the next year or two is gonna be is pretty unpredictable. Yeah. So the the term that I've been using on some of our uh stuff that has strong cash flow, it's about getting paid to wait. You know, so you don't we don't know where it's gonna go. I was saying the same thing in two thousand nine too. So it was right. like we don't know how long it's gonna take, but the cash on cash is great, let's just do it. Um that was my whole whole pitch. So bringing that one back out, I guess, uh, here, yeah. whatever, 14 years later. <laughs> so, um, so good. I definitely, uh, agree with that. So cool. Yeah. Let's leave it there, Bronson. I mean, this was really, really interesting. Uh, so then how can, uh, listeners, viewers get, get in touch with you or, or find you if they want to want to hear more? Yeah. So, uh, we have a, a free download. Um, they say inflation officially is 3.2%, at least the time we're recording this late August, but, uh, I think it's more like 10% or 12%. I think it's much higher. Uh, there's a, there's an ebook I have on my website, bronsonequity.com. It's called how to use inflation to your advantage. So there's some kind of creative outside the box using various alternative assets and debts and precious metals and different things that you can do that you probably haven't heard. So that's at my website, bronsonequity.com. And I uh, also love, you know, we love getting new people on our investor group and just learning about, you know, what their goals are and helping them along the way. Great. All right. Yeah. Awesome lessons in here. Thanks again, Bronson. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.